0: Turn with me then to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We will take our reading from verse 28 and we will read through chapter 19 and verse 15. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. And it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone For you at the Passover, do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sins. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation before the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, "Behold your king!" So they cried out, "Away with him! Away with him, Crucify him." Pilate said to them, "Shall I crucify your king?" The chief priests answered, "We have no king, but Caesar. the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We recoil, don't we, at the thought of the pulpit for a political stumping ground. Instinctively, if I were to stand up here and tell you who to vote for and what to do in terms of certain things in your voting, you likely recoil. Now, there are some things that we speak to as the church, as from Scripture, which, well, no matter which way you vote, no matter how you do, they ought to weigh on you. Things like abortion, things like protecting of life, which we are all to do. Those sorts of things we we speak to because the Bible speaks to them. But, and we speak to stewardship, right? We speak to to taking care of God's creation. But, But we, if I were to stand up here and tell you one week that the EPA ought to do this, this, and this, and we ought to rally behind it, you would recoil, wouldn't you? Because that's not of the kingdom of Christ. You see, we live in a strange place. No, I'm not talking about Southeast Texas. It's strange enough. But we as Christians live in a strange place, don't we? We live in this world of tension. This place between the already and the not yet. We live as citizens, don't we, of Christ's kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. But also of this world. There is a way in which we live, and we live torn. And the reality is this, that... That the kingdom of Christ is what we are looking at in this text. We are looking at a battle between two kingdoms. The kingdom of Christ, which looks like it is defeated. And the kingdoms of this world, which for a moment prevail in our text. Now there is a lot that's happening here. And we'll talk about that some. But the reality that we that we are looking at as we look at this text, is we, we are to see that, that the church, God's people as a unit, we are to only deal where the Bible tells us to deal. Because we do live in two kingdoms. And the Lord has set up a kingdom to rule over certain affairs. That's the temporal kingdom. The kingdom of this world of which we are a citizen. So as a private citizen, I can say the EPA says this, that, and the other, and I think we should back them. But not from here. No, no, this is telling us of a higher kingdom. That's why we don't just have a laissez-faire, casual uh, sanctuary that we come to. You likely have heard me say it, but if you haven't, you may have not noticed the architecture here. The architecture is. To draw you. Out of the kingdom of this world. To thinking about. The kingdoms of Christ. The kingdom of Christ. The word is at the center. Elevated. Above. Higher. The The ceilings are raised. We don't just have a flat roof. So that we are drawn up. Out of the kingdoms of this world. Because that's. That's where we live day to day. We, we go in the muck and the mire of our employment. We, we're diagnosed with a disease here. The, the kingdom of Christ is the hope that all of the things that are wrong will be made right by the person and work of Christ. And here in this battle, in this, in this kingdom shaking event, Christ... Christ demonstrates the nature of His kingdom and demonstrates the authority of His kingdom and demonstrates the purpose of His kingdom as He responds to the kingdoms of this world. And so we're just going to take it up in those two things because, well, that's what you get. You get the kingdom of the world crucifying, trying Christ. And you get the kingdom of Christ responding replying. And no, it's not laid out in specific, uh, in specific ways. It's what we draw out from what Christ says. So, what do we think then of the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of Christ? When we talk about the kingdom of the world, we talk about that that temporal institution ordained by God, right? That often comes in in various spheres, the government, employment, other things along those lines, even even the family, is that way. But they they are the temporal institution. Primarily, we think of of the government that will be done away with when when Christ uh, returns and all things are made new. Now, God remains sovereign. Over the temporal kingdoms, doesn't he? Christ says it in his response to Pilate. You don't have any authority over me. Except that I give it to you. There's a reason for that. Christ is sovereign over that. But but we ought not to confuse that sovereignty. with, With his kingdom made visible. His kingdom that's set out in his. Church. And so we must note that Christ's kingdom, that, that, that Christ's kingdom is distinct from the kingdoms of the world. And, and the kingdoms of the world, however, well, they're rightful. They're God given. We're not anarchists, right? That's a popular thing among certain groups of even Christians now to, to proclaim an anarchy, but we can't do that. No, there's a rightful place. We are told to submit to the government where, where it does not go against the Scriptures. And so, the Lord has established government, one for our good, and for the good of all its citizens. Right? Not just, not just uh, something that we have to overthrow. And so it's been given to bear the sword against evildoers and to protect Freedom of Christ's kingdom. Yes, the government government ought to maintain freedom of worship. Freedom of speech for us that we might draw near to Christ. Yes, yes, we say that. But as we look in the text, we're going to get a picture of the way the kingdoms of this world operate. And the first one we get is actually a perversion of the kingdom of Christ. Because there are many that are out there that pervert the kingdom of Christ and they overthrow and overstep their bounds. And that's represented in the Pharisees, isn't it? That's the church overstepping her bounds and trying to intermeddle in the kingdoms of the world. Trying to, by persuasion and force, To do what she wasn't given to do. What were they given to do? Well, they were given to follow the law, the ceremonial law. But what you see is the danger of legalism. And where it leads. Adding to God's law and calling that righteousness. It says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, who actually is the high priest. He had been with Annas. To the praetorium. And it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled. And so you have the trial. That's already taken place. We touched on it some. A trial before an illegitimate kingdom. Right? Jesus was set to trial by them. He is taken into custody so that the church as represented in its leaders, what did they do? They went after Him with a Roman cohort and arrested Him. And then, when Jesus answered, they struck Him against God's law. But this is a church that's overstepping the bounds. It's an illegitimate kingdom. And so Jesus is on trial before a perversion of His very own kingdom. That's horrifying. Horrifying. That ought to cause us to come up and examine all that we do and everything that we do. Because if you read much in ecclesiology and polity, good Presbyterian polity and ecclesiology says something like this. All authority in the church is ministerial and declarative, not legislative. What does that mean? Here it is that we are only allowed to say and to do and to speak what the Scripture says for us to do and say and speak. How does that play out? Well, let's say that all of a sudden the session got a burr under her saddle about television. And we said to you all, you know what? You may not watch television, or you will face the discipline of this church. What have we done? We've illegitimately made legislative decrees, haven't we? Now we can warn you against certain things. You ought never to participate and watch and view pornography. You ought never to participate or watch or view things which are blasphemous to God or that enter into those things which ridicule, mock, that sit in the seat of the scoffer. We can say that to you. But we can't say to you with authority that you must not. Well, what's happened here is that these men have elevated their traditions, their own legislations about the law, trying to protect the law, and said that Jesus had broken it when He hadn't. He had only transgressed their traditions. And because of that, they have usurped the kingdom of Christ. And they have then perverted it. It's a perversion of his kingdom. It's a, it's a variation of the kingdoms of this world in religious guard. And that's one of the most dangerous there is. I wish I had written it down. I wish I had thought of it before now. But it's a C.S. Lewis quote. And so I'm going to butcher it. You go Google it. It's out there. C.S. Lewis said that the most dangerous, the most dangerous authority is one set over them for moral influence, so that, so that when someone wants to do something because they say it's morally right, if they strike you as they did Jesus, if they seek your death as they did Christ wrongly, well they think they're doing it with holiness? And uprightness. Now that is a total butchering of that. But look it up. This is fantastically a representation of what's happening here. They have perverted God's kingdom and they have perverted the kingdom of Christ, conflating that which was spiritual and trying to turn it into that which is only temporal. You see, Christ came to give the substance. To the types and shadows that they were supposed to be representing. And so, what had been built by the Pharisees was just that a perverted kingdom, a carefully crafted oligarchy of religious leaders who wanted not righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, which you know Romans says is the kingdom of Christ. That's not what they were after. They were after prestige and power and their own little dominion. It's subtle. But the church can lose her mission and drift into places where she was never called to go. And so they want to be the civil kingdom and have control. But they're but perversions of Christ's kingdom. And in reality, they're found anywhere. That would use Christ's name. And Christ's true kingdom to advance worldly gain. To advance worldly power. To advance things of this earth. The prosperity gospel is a perversion of Christ's kingdom. The church of Rome is a perversion of Christ's kingdom. You know what all happened in the name of Christ under their leadership. All of the things that they had done throughout history. And if you need reading. Come see me. And so it is a perversion of Christ's kingdom. When anyone steps up and says. In the name of Christ I speak. And. The government must act this way. Now. Do not hear me saying this. That that citizens of the kingdoms of this world who are also Christians are not to be concerned with the laws of the land. This is Texas. They come for your guns. You're not going to let that happen. Right? Well, we, we believe in holding on to those things. Not, not at, at all costs, but we believe in holding on to them to the protection not just of ourselves, but the preserving of life of others. Now that's a... That's a Sixth Commandment thing. And so we speak to that. We, as citizens of this United States and of Texas, but also of citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven, have every right to say as citizens, we will not tolerate the wholesale murder and slaughter of the unborn. And the church ought to say that. But we, ever, we, we, we lose our mission when we begin to push into things that Christ hasn't called us to. The church's primary mission is not the education of the world. Now, we can go forward and educate if it's with a gospel end. But we're, our primary cause is not to educate the world now, we do, through the ministry of the deacons, through, through that mercy ministry, we have a care for the poor and needy. Because we are about soul and body. But our primary mission is not to eliminate poverty. Our primary mission is not... As much as it breaks our heart to see every hungry child fed, oh it should burden our hearts, but the church itself as the church in her officers she is to be about the declaration of the gospel. Because you can be poor. You you can be you can be uneducated. You you can be sick. You can be any number of things and still have everything in Christ. But if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And so the entire missing of the point by these Pharisees is, is on display for us. They take Him to trial. They are overstepping the bounds. And so we're not, we're not deceived by a religious facade. They simply wanted power. They simply wanted their portion. They simply wanted their rightful cause to things, or their rightful care for things in this world. But the church, as the church, is always to be about her primary mission. And that's declaring to sinners throughout this world that no matter your circumstance, you need Jesus. Whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, you need Jesus. Whether you you are sick or well. You need Jesus. And not to heal your your physical sickness. But to remedy that deep divide between you and God. To make you after His image. For that kingdom to come. You see you are a citizen of two kingdoms. Now. We are not deceived by... The facade, the Pharisees, had perverted that which was rightly about Christ and His coming. But they, they were not about repentance unto life. They knew who Jesus was. They knew who He claimed to be. They knew that He was the One. But they were only about that external, formalism. And so they drag Him off to Caiaphas. And we're not told by John the nature of what happened before Caiaphas. I mean, it was quick, right? You only get one verse. Then they led him to, from from Caiaphas to the Praetoria. Last we saw, he was with Annas. But they, it's more of the same. Beating him, striking him, harming him. And so then they hand him over to the Gentiles. But in verse 28, you see the irony of legalism of of overstepping and legislating of doing that which the church is not called to do i mean jesus had pointed it out to them hadn't he he said to them you're experts at setting aside the commandments of god in order to keep your tradition right moses moses said honor your father and your mother And he who speaks evil of his father and mother is to be put to death. But you say if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would be yours to help you is Corban. That is to say given to God. You no longer permit them to do anything for his father and mother. Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down. And you do many such things as that. They had perverted his kingdom. And made it only about the external. And not about the reality to which it had always pointed. And the irony of legalism is that it makes you twice a breaker of God's law. And it damns you even more. That's the danger. That's the danger of perverting Christ's kingdom. He said to them on another occasion... Woe to you Pharisees. You travel abroad. You make your phylacteries abroad. You do all of these things to make a convert. And when you do, you make them twice a son of hell as yourself. There's great danger of the church overstepping their bounds. And look at how they do it. They themselves would not enter into the praetorium that they might not be defiled. Do you see the? The the irony here. The danger of of an illegitimate kingdom being made out of Christ's kingdom. That, That they don't care that they are murdering a man that they know is innocent. Everyone knows. They know. Pilate knows. But this isn't about truth. This is about outward invisible glory, and so they pervert the kingdom to esta- his kingdom to establish their own, and so they did not enter it wasn't about joining with faith all of those types and shadows that God had given, pointing to Jesus, because if they had been coming to him by faith, they would have known it would have been evident to them, but no, they are whitewashed tombs, they are cups cleansed on the outside, but filthy on the inside. And so they bring him to trial. And so as we look at the perversion of Christ's kingdom by those in the world, there are a couple of things that we, we need to take note of. Because as you know me, we're not going to get finished today. You're going to get point one sub-point A we're not even making it to sub point B. So, so we are only making it to here. And as we think about this, we, we need to take note of a couple of things about the dangers of perverting Christ's kingdom. What does it look like? How do we notice it? Not, not just in, in those out there, but Here. Right? This is the manifestation of Christ's kingdom in which we find ourselves here. How do we take heart? Well, we take heart because his kingdom, his kingdom will reign. The gates of hell will not prevail over it. And though we are visible, and though we might stumble and fall, his kingdom will be upheld. Then, We take warning that we don't take anything beyond what Scripture says to take. The Bible must be our full and final authority so that it puts upon you an impetus. If I were to stand up here and declare the Word of God to you and I were to err, would you know it? Because if we're saying that the church goes forward only as she is faithful to the Word, would you know it? So the impetus then for you is to not focus only on externals, but to find yourself here in the Word, digging in so that you might know what is true and might know what is false. Do you? Do you? Are you making it your daily portion? Are you feeding on the pasture that is here? Are you growing in grace as you learn from Him in His Word? Or are you completely casting off the great grace that's given to you to have the Bible in your language? We're not having service in Latin. This isn't only written in Latin, this is in your language. don't don't cast off that grace. As if the Word of God is what we say it is, it ought to thrill us every morning to wake up and hear from Him. There's an impetus on you. There's an impetus on the session. They are to be men of God growing in grace, growing in the Word, growing as we believe the the standards are our teaching that we think they are full and accurate representations to be growing and to check themselves and to check me and to come to you with the Word. So that if you're in sin and they come to you and they say you're in sin and you don't think you are, Well, now you have a stalemate. What's the decider? The Word. They are not to get outside of the Word, nor are you to live outside of the Word. You are to be here. And so then, we are to avoid the danger that comes with not being a people of the book. But further, we are to avoid the danger of focusing too much on worldly solutions. Right? We, we come here and we gather in this otherworldly setting. You don't believe this is otherworldly? Ask a lost person why you go to church. They have no idea. Ask ones who didn't grow up in church, what goes on in the church? They have no idea. It's otherworldly. And so when we gather together, when we fellowship together, we are to be those who come together to encourage one another, as we've already heard, to fix our eyes on that kingdom. That kingdom which is, which is already and not yet. That kingdom of which we are citizens, of which we are walking as strangers and aliens and pilgrims and exiles in this world. You see, a church that has lost its way is a church that's happy to be right here, right now. And they only want to gain power and influence for right here and right now. And so then we are exhorted as we look at these men who have perverted and made illegitimate the kingdom of Christ in their teaching, in their doing. We are to be exhorted and admonished to make sure that we are able to see it, able to spot it, able able to call to account. If I err, I don't. But if I do, I'm kidding, I do. But if I err, come to me with the word. And if you err, I will do the same. Because to step outside of that is to step outside of the authority that we have. And to step outside of the greatest need that we have. Because here it is. We learn, we hear, we see Christ. We'll talk about this more next week when we actually finish point one. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.